Welcome to InfoSec K2K's The Keys to Your Digital Kingdom, your monthly cybersecurity update. Our industry-leading experts are here to offer insights into the latest trends, share their invaluable knowledge, and provide practical strategies to help you enhance your digital defenses and protect your most sensitive data. Hello and welcome to the third episode of our Keys to Your Digital Kingdom podcast. I'm your host Stefan and today is a special episode for us as we kick off a mini-series within our podcasts. For the next five or so episodes, we want to dive into the world of OT, ICT or production security. And for this, we have with us a very proven expert in this field, I would say, Kevin Kumpf. Kevin comes from our partners at um, Sayolo and will be with us for the entire mini-series and share his experience. Kevin, thanks for being with us and uh, making time. Maybe you can briefly introduce yourself and Sayolo and what you guys do and you know talk a little bit about your experience in this field. Yes, uh, Stefan, thank you for uh, inviting me and having me on this series. So what does Sayolo do? Sayolo allows um, what the general term is, is secure remote access into both uh, the OT, the operational technology, as well as the information technology uh, realms. But the unique part is that we're seeing that secure remote access is now evolving into um, connected access from anywhere. It's not just people from the outside getting in, it's people internally that you wanna control, monitor, and maintain. So that is what we do at the base core is provide access into resources in uh, IT and OT environments at our foundation. Great. Thanks for that. So, yeah, let's dive into our topic, OT or ICT security. So in this first episode, we want to give you an overview of what defines OT, ICT. Where are the differences between IT security and OT security, if there are any at all? And how does cyber incidents affect businesses in the IT or in the OT space? And again, where are the differences or the similarities between these two spaces? In the following episodes, we will then dive deeper into specific fields within OT, such as manufacturing, logistics, energies, etc., and then focus more on the specific requirements in these fields, sharing some examples. And uh, again, uh, Kevin will talk about experience in this field and what's relevant. Now, Kevin, to start with, how would you define the OT space and what do you see as part of it and what's really relevant? Just Google OT versus IT. And based on the manufacturer, the vendor, or the partner, or people out there, you get a little bit of a different definition. Some feel it is basically proprietary software running on components at its core. Others feel, and I'm in this camp, that it is things that impact manufacturing, physical systems, production. So when you look at it that way, you have in the IT world, your Salesforce, your CRMs, your Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and they are shared resource applications that generally are available off the shelf and basically function in a business productivity way for you know white collar type things. In the OT world, it's more of the blue collar where OT has gotten its foundation. So if you look at something that produces milk, the production line that does that, or produces gas, electric, anything that is out there that is basically a manufacturing side, shipping, transportation, even people look at it and say, you know, areas that people wouldn't think, building automation systems. 
those fall into OT because it's physically controlling the environment and the operational processes around you. It is, you know, the area of the hard hat, the graded floor, and basically uh, it controls those finite systems in that environment that get things done. Great. So now that we defined and outlined the space, what you say are the differences in focus between IT and OT, if there are any? I mean, in IT, we usually see security is very much focused on the C in CIA, so on confidentiality as the most pressing issue. Is that the same in OT or do we see a different focus there from your experience? It's actually the inverse. The IT world is CIA, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. In the OT world, it's AIC. And I argue, and many others do, that there is an S in front of that, which is silent for safety first. What is availability of these systems? And these systems, when they go down, can cause catastrophic things in many instances. The power grid, for example, that is all what we call OT systems out there for the substations, transmission, distribution, generation. If one of those goes down, and many of these are, we have entities we work with where the systems are 40 years old, there is no backup. You can't go off to the shelf and just say, I'll pull up a backup from six weeks ago, six months ago, or just install a new version and go from there. People can die. Systems can basically malfunction. It's just a very dangerous area where you do not want downtime. So availability is the key to the OT space with safety. Yeah, and I think this leads us perfectly to to the next topic, right? The, the, the outcomes a cyber incident can have in the OT space. As you said, while in the IT world, it's mostly about confidentiality and integrity. So the focus is on not losing data, making sure that data stays confidential, not being extracted or misused. In the OT world, an incident or an attack can have catastrophic issues. It can actually cause physical harm to people by manipulating or taking down systems, right? Very much so. And in fact, if you look at just a couple incidents that, and I don't want to call them incidents because incidents are malicious intent in nature. Events are non-malicious in nature. We had two in the U.S. in the recent year that caused people some panic. Number one was the train derailment in Ohio. You know, was that cyber attack? Was that a cyber threat that took the train off the rails? It turns out it wasn't. Um, it was just the, uh, you know, the mismanagement and not monitoring control systems of components of the rail system. If you look, we also had one last year with the FAA with the basically airline system that turned out to basically be a, uh, a, a cable that went defective in the process. But the first threat that came out over the news media was, was it a cyber attack on that system? So if you look at, you know, the catastrophic incident that happened in Ohio and the potential harm that could have happened with our air control and traffic systems here, you realize the importance of what we call OT systems out there. And you realize that this is not the same as somebody hacking into your, you know, your billing system and you get a notification that says that your personal information has been compromised. This is really about life safety that we're talking here. Yeah, and I think it's also in, in so many different spaces where an, an incident or an event can have catastrophic effects. I mean, you've been talking about now larger systems like trains, et cetera, et cetera. But even if we're going into the healthcare sector, for example, we're looking at control systems within hospitals that are dispensing medicine and drugs for people. That can have a very catastrophic 
effect on people who are relying on these systems, right? Yes. And and the medical systems out there are getting, I want to say, finally some attention because the biggest thing that's driven people is in the U.S. here is, is HIPAA, for example. And you're seeing, you know, with basically that PII, personal identifiable information, um, you walk into a doctor's office, they do not use your last name when they're calling you as a patient. They use your first name and last initial. They continually, when you're walking down the hall, they ask you to spell your last name, to give your date of birth, things like this, and have requirements on can they leave a message on your voicemail, on your phone, your answering machine, or things like that. If you look at the other side of the systems, now we're talking, you know, the the IV pumps. We're talking the Pixis or the medical dispensing systems out there. But these have become a, a point of contention, too, because we have had medical incidents now where people have injected drugs or taken drugs out of these systems. So they're putting controls around them. But that's for the people that are physically on the floors or physically interacting. We've also had, you know, cyber attacks on these systems where people have gotten in and, you know, compromised an IV pump or compromised a a medical imaging system or even compromised a drug dosing system. You know, the scary part is you don't hear a lot about these, but they happen. And in fact, when one of the, uh, you know, uh, elected officials in the U.S. a couple of years ago was having a heart procedure done with a pacemaker. He wanted to make sure that that device did not have any remote capabilities to it where they could get in, they could monitor, they could attach or connect to it just because of the risk of could somebody physically harm him and cause him harm through a pacemaker. So um, it's everywhere in the medical field. And I think this is also I think the the biggest theme now in the OT world. So a few years ago, you could say, OT were the systems that were not necessarily connected to the outside world in any way or form. They were trying to be kept separate and not connected or remotely accessible. This has changed a lot in the last few years. Everything is now being controlled, mostly somewhere through a cloud service or public service somewhere. So that risk, I think, has increased quite a lot, that risk vector on these systems that historically haven't been online or accessible from the outside world. Definitely has. And one of the shifts in the OT world has been, I know everybody likes to use COVID as the reason that things changed. Remote work changed, or we're not going to offices, or the way we travel even, or interact, or order things in the world changed due to COVID. But it has not been just COVID that's changed the sector. The lack of people going into the field, OT, quote unquote, is not sexy to people. Nobody wants to put on a hard hat and walk around a graded floor or go out to an oil derrick or an offshore wind turbine and work. You know, they'd like the clean, austere office environments these days. And so as you have people now that need to manage and control these systems, you're not finding a person in your local neighborhood that will come out and do this. You're finding people that need to travel eight, 10 hours sometimes just to get to a control mechanism in an oil field. Having the ability to do that remotely saves the company time, effort, energy, and can get there immediately and quickly. And so this has been somewhat of the shift is the need to have those resources available. The need to have those systems up has caused it to now open them up more to people being diverse and further away. And also what I see and and what I think has changed is there is now way more 
people or parties involved in operating or maintaining certain systems, especially if we're looking at, as you mentioned, wind turbines, offshore, wind parks, etc. There can be up to 30 parties, different parties involved in maintaining and operating these systems which all need access to these wind turbines and wind parks in any way or form, be that locally or remotely. So I think that that's also a big shift that has happened the last few years. The devices are growing exponentially. And this is where you have OT, and then you have IOT, and then you have IIOT, and uh, basically the, you know, the MIOT, medical type devices. Your home is now full of IOT devices, sensors, probes, doorbells, you know, anything for your heating and cooling system, your garage door, cameras. In the industrial environment, those systems have grown as well. And those are what we call the IIoT systems. The reason being is your home devices are in many instances dumb. They're, they're manufactured at the cheapest level. We're hoping that people in the factories and places like that that are putting in monitoring systems that are putting in cobots or automated forklifts that you can maintain and check battery systems or other things or performance remotely. You're hoping that they put security into those devices as well. What we're finding though is that because of the device size, because of the cost, because of the reusable code that can come from the IoT world, we're finding a lot of these devices insecure in the, basically in the industrial sector and the medical sector. So the devices are proliferating, basically. There, there's more and more of these out there. And that's a real challenge because how do you manage, maintain, and control those at such large scale? It's growing exponentially every year. Yeah, and I think it's not just the sheer number of devices out there, it's the non-unified way of maintaining these. So basically every manufacturer brings his own way of how to maintain these devices, how to access them, how to manage them, right? There is no no unified way for companies to do so. And from my experience, I would say the more different ways to manage something there are, the higher the risk because everybody, no one is in a position to be able to manage everything properly all the time if there is 30 different ways to, to do that. No, they're not. And this is where people talk about digital transformation and, you know, a future topic we can get into industry 4.0. But most of these manufacturers put out products that phone home. They go to a cloud service that the internal entity using them doesn't have control over. For example, you know, I, I come from many years background physically working in the space in a variety of sectors. A factory that I was working in had lighting systems that were now controlled remotely. Middle of the day, one day, the company that had those systems put in a new software feature that they wanted to test out, unbeknownst to the people on the factory floor, and the lights in the facility started flickering and going off in certain parts of the plant. The plant had no idea what was going on. Is it is it the power coming in? Is it the you know devices themselves? You know, is it interference of something we're doing in the facility? The vendor never reached out to the people using the lights and said, "Hey, we're going to test this." They just said, "We're going to test it," not knowing that it would cause an issue. So when you have people controlling the lighting in your facility and you're using you know heavy duty machinery on the shop floor, turning out the lights it's kind of dangerous, but. They just view it as, uh, you know, we control the lights, we're sorry for the inconvenience, and they went about their day. That's the type of scenarios where people have no control. Yep. And this is, I think, also one of the fields that not everybody is thinking of when we're talking about OT, ICT um, systems, the lights. I mean, you know, you're running a factory, so you're concerned about your machines and all that kind of stuff. You're not really necessarily concerned about the system, the lights. 
right? But as you said, the effect this can have such a minor device, I would say, can have on the security of your employees and obviously of the availability of your production line is major because if you don't have lights, you can't work. Exactly. And this is where if you look at some of the mindset in the OT space, it is, you know, to quote a thing, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that is truly the thing when we talk to people that say that that system has been in production for 35 years nonstop. The challenge is those people that put it in 35 years ago are retired. The people that understand how it works, how it was set up. Prime example is you have a new heating system put in your house. It gets 10 years old. It needs maintenance. The same guy is generally not coming out to maintain it. And you get the thing of, well, yeah, it's not built like it used to be. You need to replace the system because this part can't be changed or that part is changed, things like that. So it's really impacting overall our lives. Even if you look at the automobiles we drive today, you know, everything is done by computer. There is going to come a point where they say, hey, you know what, the software for that car to program that to make this feature function again, or that chip you need to run your car that was damaged in an accident isn't going to be there. Nobody's going to manufacture basically software components to make your navigation system still work 30 years later. It's really changing that rapidly and that quickly. Yeah, as you said, it's, it's really everywhere nowadays, right? So even in sectors or fields where you wouldn't initially think about there being any control systems in there, it's all centrally controlled these days through the providers of the systems. I mean, one thing that's also probably not everybody is thinking about is agriculture as a field. Agriculture is becoming one of the key areas and it's very difficult. You know, I work with the FBI InfraGuard group up here and one of the sectors that we're trying to target is the agriculture field. And to go out and to talk to the local farmers and say, you know, somebody could attack your systems. They're like, what systems are they going to attack? Because many of them are still the very low tech, older tractors and things like that. But as we get into the new tractors, if we get into the new watering systems and irrigation systems, as we get into the lack of availability to have you know, migrants come out and pick fruit and vegetables, what you're finding is automated systems that are replacing that. So your tractor's smarter. Your tractor's basically, you know, if something happens to it in the field, you're going to get a remote support for that tractor through basically, or, you know, an, you know, an interactive system where somebody sits remote, diagnosis, figures out what's wrong. But apple pickers, for example, I had it up here where I live. Somebody basically had robots that were out in the fields. They were supposed to be checking the apple trees. They were supposed to be picking the apples properly. Somebody actually broke into the system and was shaking the trees, was putting the injecting of the chemicals wrong into the trees, was even running into the trees with the, you know, with the autonomous device there and causing damage to the trees. You don't have to ask why someone would do that. I mean, this is the day and age of people just want to be destructive. But those type of things are real, and we need to start really paying attention to them. Yeah, and I, and I think this is one of the things we're going to talk about more in the next few episodes when we're diving deeper into some of these fields. But the knock-on effects on everybody's life, these kind of attacks or incidents can have. So when you're thinking about it, yeah, one farmer being attacked or one, one set of tractors or whatever being attacked or taken over, what kind of immediate effect does that have? You wouldn't think much, but if you're then looking at the bigger picture, if someone is breaking into the systems that do control these tractors, it's not just going to be one, right? So no. what effect does that have on the supply chain and the knock-on effects? 
behind that. Yeah. And if you take it one step up further in the supply chain, I've worked on incidents in the poultry industry and then the dairy industry. And there was a incident where one of the milk processing companies was broken into and they had to shut down the line. And now besides the regulatory and the um, you know investigative agencies that get involved, that milk that's coming from the cows out in the field that you're expecting to be delivered to your plant tomorrow to be processed now can't be processed because you're shut down. Now that milk is wasted. You know, you, you can't tell a cow, let's not produce milk for two or three days because we're not ready for it. You know, cows are going to produce when they're going to produce. Trucks need to roll when they need to roll. You've now basically caused that entire ecosystem financial loss, as well as basically, you know, insecurity in the industry where people can say that milk company was attacked and compromised. It doesn't take a rocket scientist these days to see all the conspiracy theory people out there saying, what did they do to the milk? Were they injecting it with things to cause us harm? Was the government trying to control us through that milk system? It's a myriad of fear that causes long-term damage. Yeah. And again, this is just one example with the agriculture field. But again, in the coming episodes, we will we will look into several other fields and try also to share some some insights and some stories around that. And again, trying to build out this picture. What's the most relevant pieces there? What should be people looking after? And again, what real world effects can incidents have on everyday's life? Absolutely. That's where it really comes down to is the impacts on everybody's life. I mean, on a daily basis. As I said, you know, if, if your Netflix goes down and that's attacked, that's an IT system. And great. You can't watch Netflix. If the lights go out, you know, the panic that sets in, you know, the power that, you know, needed to run everything in your world is not there. You know, everybody out there is not a survivalist. Everybody out there does not have a home generation system. Everybody out there does not say, hey, I can just go get gas and start a generator. But then you look and you say, even to get gas out of the ground through the pumps to provide that for your generator, that takes electricity to run those pumps. People don't think about that. They think they're going to show up at the gas station, put in a credit card, which by the way, that takes electricity. Nobody carries cash anymore. They're going to pay for it with their credit card. So that's not working. Even if they could, the system to get the gas out of the ground after a while will not be working because the, the generator on that site will run out of fuel generally. How do you run your house? You know, you, you can't have hundreds of gallons of fuel or things like that in the current mindset to maintain it. Yep, absolutely. So I'd say that's it for today's episode, really. As I said, we want to dive deeper in the next coming episodes again with Kevin. This one, we wanted to give you an oversight of what we see as the OT field, what's relevant in this field, and uh, you know, talk a little bit about what can happen and what has happened in the past. And moving forward, we will be looking into specific fields like energy, like transport and mobility, and talk about a more specific about these topics there. Kevin, again, thanks for joining us and looking forward to having you on the following episodes as well. It was a pleasure to be here, Stefan. And I'd just like to say this is not about fear mongering. We're not trying to tell people here or to scare them into, you know, the sky is falling. You know, the, the, the focus of this series is to really work with people and to expand their mindset and understanding of we have to protect all these systems equally for the world. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. All right. 
Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Keys to Your Digital Kingdom podcast. If you want to see more of us or hear more of us, please do subscribe. You can also subscribe to our LinkedIn InfoSec K2K weekly newsletter. And if you have any specific topics you would like us to talk about within this series, within the podcast, please do feel free to add it to the comments, ping us directly through our channels, and we will see that we pick them up and add them to our content plan. All right. That's it for today. Thanks, everybody, and uh, hear you next time. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media for more. Mm-hmm.